Hello and welcome to the Anishinaabe History Podcast. I'm Chris Waite. Today we're talking about Chief Masabe. He signed on to the James Bay Treaty using an X because he wasn't literate. Other chiefs of that era also signed using symbols such as a bird for the name Benese, which means bird. According to the journals of the treaty agents who had traveled into the wilderness to make treaty with the natives, deals were made immediately upon arrival. What was said, interpreted, understood, and agreed to has been much disputed over the years. This episode is not about the treaty itself, it is about one of the chiefs of the Ojibwe people of that region. His name was Masabe, and he was from Mishkigogamang. The following is taken from the Mishkigogamang website. Quote, the members of the Mishkigogamang First Nation community are Ojibwe people. They are part of the Algonquin language group, which includes Cree people and as many as 30 other cultures, each with their related languages and dialects. Some of the earliest Ojibwe may have lived on the east coast of Canada, then, in response to a spiritual direction, moved westward in a great migration which is thought to have begun around 900 AD and to have been completed around 1400 AD. This migration resulted in settlements along and around the Great Lakes. The people of Mishkigogamang acknowledge that their people originate from the Great Lakes area. They don't believe that their ancestors came over the Bering Strait to populate North America, but rather that their people have always been in this area, placed here by the Creator. The word Anishinaabe, by which Ojibwe people identify themselves, comes from the root words ani, meaning from whence, nishina, meaning lowered, and abe, meaning the male of the species. Legends say that the Creator made man from the four sacred elements, and then lowered him to the earth. End quote. As has often been said, Anishinaabe people have been here since time immemorial. In other words, people have definitely been on this continent, Turtle Island, for tens of thousands of years. On top of that, it seems as though there have been numerous waves of populations. At Mishkigogamang in 1905, Misabe became the first chief of his band under the Canadian colonial governmental system. The name Misabe means giant. To the people in that area, Misabe was a respected elder. He was nominated by his peers and family to become chief. When his peers nominated him to speak for them, Misabe initially declined. He said that his affliction of blindness would prevent him from carrying out his duties. But Misabe's son urged him to reconsider, and he did. Misabe's wisdom earned him the place as first among equals. The following is from the Mishkigogamang Ojibwe First Nation website. Quote, the treaty commissioners and the people agreed on two pieces of land for reserves, which were called Osnaburg 63A and 63B. The commissioners promised the people they would not have to live on the reserves, and that their traditional lands, a vast territory surrounding the reserves, would be theirs to use indefinitely. The people chose Misabe as their first chief, and two councillors were also selected, on a ratio of one council member per 100 people. Thus, the band and council system were instituted for the people who traded at Osnaburg House. End quote. Osnaburg House was the old company name for Mishkigogamang. The treaty that Misabe signed at Mishkigogamang was Treaty Number no. 9. 
This treaty is still active and includes 49 communities and encompasses a landmass that is two-thirds of Ontario. It was 1905 when men sent by the King of England went up north to strike treaty amongst the people living there. We now call this area Northwestern Ontario. On Tuesday, July 11, 1905, at approximately 5.30 p.m., Masabe met with the treaty commissioners. By noon the next day, Masabe had been chosen as chief and the treaty had been signed. Then the commissioners traveled on to the next destination without even a kiss goodbye. So, what was agreed to? The lead treaty commissioner, Duncan Campbell Scott, did not write much in his diary that day. Quote, At 5.30 had conference with chief men, all of whom afterwards signed the treaty. Ordered a feast, prepared paylist with Williams. End quote. The Williams referred to was the manager of the local Hudson Bay Company outpost called Osnaburg House. Remember that the Hudson Bay Company was a British enterprise financed by the royal family. Thus, when Masabe met with Scott and the other treaty commissioners, he was arguably making treaty with the King of England. Although the lead commissioner did not write much in his journal, the other commissioners, Samuel Stewart and Daniel George McMartin, wrote a little bit more in theirs. Stewart was an employee of Indian Affairs. McMartin, however, was a miner placed on the commission at the insistence of the province of Ontario. In other words, Canada wanted the resources. Yet the diary of Commissioner Samuel Stewart describes the meeting in the following way. Quote, the first step taken by us was to request the Indians to appoint representative men to confer with the commissioners. These having been selected, eight in number, a meeting was held at which the terms of the treaty were made known to them. The Indians asked several questions as to whether they would be compelled to live on the reserve to be set apart for them, and as to whether their fishing and hunting privileges would be curtailed. On being informed that they could continue to live as they and their forefathers had done, and that they could make use of any lands not disposed of by the government, they appeared to be satisfied, but asked to be given to the following day to enable them to talk over the terms of the agreement with their members of the band which request was at once agreed to. They were also informed that a feast would be given to the Indians, and that the material for the same would at once be provided. On the morning of the 12th July, the Indians notified the commissioners that they were ready to give their answer to the proposals made to them, and on the meeting being again convened, Chief Masabe, speaking for the Indians, said that after giving the subject full consideration, they had decided that it would be much to their advantage to enter into treaty. The other representatives, having expressed their concurrence with the remarks made by the chief, the treaty was signed and witnessed with all due formality. End quote. So by noon the next day, the people who lived around and traded goods at the Hudson Bay Company outpost, known as Osnaburg House, made their marks on the commissioner's document, Treaty Number 9. Many documents and reviews of the Treaty 9 process have been made over the years, and some of them refer to an eloquent speech made by Chief Masabe, yet it is difficult to find what Chief Masabe actually said. Instead, Masabe's words have been reduced in the literature to, whatever you say, we will do, or some reference to the money handed out at that time. But what was his eloquent speech?
Perhaps some of the flavor of what Masabe said can be sensed in the words from another man who was put into the same position. At a subsequent signing onto Treaty No. 9 at Fort Hope, another nominated person, Chief Munias, said, quote, Ever since he was able to earn anything, and that was from the time he was very young, he had never been given something for nothing, that he always had to pay for everything he got, even if it was only a paper of pins. Now you gentlemen come to us from the king, offering to give us benefits for which we can make no return? How is this? End quote. Munias was right on the money. So what happened after Munias asked the commissioners this question? He was actually pacified by the local priest who reassured Munias that the king only wanted land that the Indians supposedly weren't using and that they were to receive benefits to balance anything that they would be giving. That conversation had occurred in Fort Hope. At the time of the signing, approximately 700 Ojibwe people lived on both sides of the Albany River, where it becomes a lake. In our language, this lake is known as Yabmatung, which means where the current reverses. In Mishkigogamang, Chief Masabe, although he was blind and illiterate, could apparently read the writing on the wall when he acquiesced and said, Whatever you say, we will do. But there's more to the story, isn't there always? What happened after the treaty was signed by the various people of this vast region who then became known as Indian Bands, now under the thumb of Canadian jurisdiction? Was it a fair trade? Have the treaty terms been upheld? That's all for today's episode. Stay tuned for more episodes in the future. I'm Chris Waite, and this has been the Anishinaabe History Podcast.